This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. So I want to have a conversation with you for just a few minutes on we're finishing this concept of the content life. And I've talked to you about being content with our blessings from God, and we discussed being thankful with our our blessings from God. And today I want to look at the concept, the idea of being generous with our blessings from God. And some of you already just put up a wall, and you already just shut down because the pastor's going to talk about money. And if you did, this message is for you. Just saying, I'm just being real. You've already had a conversation, and you've already heard uh, Pastor Jonathan, who did not really have a clue what I'm talking about today, tell you that God doesn't need our money, right? Told you that before. I told him when I walked out of my office a minute ago, God doesn't need, doesn't need our money. If the ministry, of gospel, the ministry of the gospel is supposed to go forward, it has nothing to do with realistically... I mean, I'll just be completely frank with you. God's got a calling on my life. He's got a mandate on my life to deliver the gospel. And if the the faithfulness of the people does not take place so that I get to continue to do that in some way, shape, or form right here, the mandate of my life doesn't change, and God realistically doesn't need your money to make sure I deliver the gospel. If the mandate of this church is to go forward and is to change the community, God doesn't need your money to make sure it happens. It may not take place the same way right here in this physical house the way that it is if you're not faithful in your giving, but God doesn't need it. You with me? So please hear from the very outset of this that I'm not asking. This this message is in no way, shape, or form. You're not going to get an apology because I'm not asking for your money. Okay? You with me? As a disciple of Jesus, if we're not generous with the blessings, then you don't need to call yourself a disciple. That's the point I'm going to get to. And we're going to take a little journey to get there so it's not quite so blunt and so in your face, but I figured I might as well get it done and over with before we even get started. That okay? If you would please turn with me to the book of Psalm, chapter 24. I've got quite a few verses of Scripture today, kind of scattered out and scattered around. Brother Carter's been so gracious, I believe he's probably got them all because he is awesome like that. Uh, Y'all give Carter a hand back there running the computer. He also has got a timer on the screen making sure that I stop when I'm supposed to stop, Lord willing, unless the Spirit leads otherwise. So you can thank him for that too so you get to eat lunch later. Psalm chapter uh, 24 verse 1 says, "The The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Short enough, I'll read it to you again. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Giving is a heart and a mind issue. Generosity is a heart and a mind issue. I can tell you that you need to give and that you're supposed to give. You can read in the word of God that you're supposed to give as a disciple of Jesus. But if in in some way, shape, or form, if that's not sink into your heart, it doesn't matter whether you know it or not, you're not going to do it. Right? 
There are things that I know to be true every day of my life, and if I don't accept them and believe in them, I don't do them. Right? So that we have to get to, from the very outset of this, we have to understand that giving is a heart issue. We have to get to the place that we understand that everything you have belongs to the Lord. That's a hard concept. That's a hard idea to grasp as a person maybe that, that if you didn't grow up in church, you've not been in church, and you've never, you're new to this whole idea, you're new to this whole thought process. That is a foreign idea to know the paycheck that you received on Friday, or maybe you'll get it at the end of the month. The only reason you get to receive that paycheck is because God is in control of this economy. He's in control of everything around us, and he allowed you to receive that provision. Man, it got quiet. And so getting to a place we understand in our heart that everything we have belongs to the Lord is the beginning. So the writer of Psalms said that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Some translations say the fullness of the Lord, the, the fullness of everything, the, the fullness of its components, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. The word everything is still everything, whether it be the fullness, whether it be the complete, whether it be the every somehow, whatever way you want to plug in there, everything within this world belongs to the Lord. We, we've been creative. Man has been extremely creative. We've been gifted. You can create a flat screen TV that's not even flat anymore. It's curved, so it looks a little different. And that somehow still belongs to God because he gave the intellect to man to be able to create the screen. I enjoy my iPhone. Some of y'all Android users are like, blah. It's not mine. God allowed me the provision to be able to purchase it. He allowed me the blessing to be able to have it. Somebody had the mindset to come up with it. This is not ours. It belongs to the Lord. Everything that we have, whether it be food that you're going to eat here in just a little while, had to grow from something, right? God had to provide the grain. He had to provide the water. He had to, everything you have, everything that we are belongs to the Lord. First Chronicles 29 verses uh, 10 through 12 says it like this. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone. You rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. That means that if our wealth increases, it only increased because God said it could increase. Right? Maybe this is bare bones basics, but we got to get through this heart issue, understanding it's not mine in the first place before we can make it to the mindset. The Bible said that in order for wealth to have increased in your house, it meant that God allowed the wealth to increase. The only way that I have, have gotten to a place as a young guy to be able to to stand before you and, and lead this type of situation, to lead this organization is only because God allowed it to happen. I might can put a smile on my face and I might can write a good resume, but if God had not have wanted me in this position, I would not be here. 
right? We have to make sure that we remain humble in that, that we know that. I'm humble in my place. I'm humble knowing that the only way I get to stand on this platform and deliver the word of God is because God allowed it to happen. The only way I got to swipe my debit card this morning to buy me a sandwich at Biscuitville is because God allowed the money to be given in some way, shape, or form, the provision to come so that I can then purchase the food. It goes all the way back. It all happens only because the Lord says so. I get it if, if somebody is not a follower of Christ, they don't believe and they, they don't understand. I get that this would be a foreign concept that makes no sense whatsoever. But if you believe that Jesus died on a cross for you to save you for your sins, and you know that to be true because of the word of God, then we have to believe the remainder of the word of God and believe that everything we have belongs to the Lord. You can't believe part and not believe whole. Right? So as a person that loves Jesus, a person that's been redeemed, that's been saved, I'm telling you today, if you didn't already understand that, you have to get to a place in your heart where you realize everything you have, you have because God's allowed you to have it. You with me? Colossians 1.16 says, For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities, and the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. That means you were created by God. You were created for God. Everything that you have, everything that you possess, that you have stewardship over, because it's not really right to say you have possession over it because it's not yours. If you're going to say possession, you have to get to a place you understand God gifted it to you. But the, the real thought process really should be more so that he has allowed you to steward the resources. Right? And whatever you have was made for him and by him. Therefore, it's not for you. It's not my words. It's just God's word. Whatever I've been given is not for me. Even down to the fact that we'll get materialistic with my phone. I've been gifted this phone. I've been given this phone. I've been stewarded this phone. What am I doing with it? I've been given a vehicle to be able to drive. I've been not, not given. I work to pay the bill. I'm just saying, stay with me. God has gifted me the ability to have this vehicle. The question is, what do I do with it? Am I doing anything whatsoever, any way, shape, or form to advance the kingdom of God with the resources that he's given me? I love dearly, Brother Bruce isn't here today, but he and I get in the Jeep every once in a while. We'll take off to lunch and one day I blew his mind, I took the doors off and dropped the top down, and he was like, wow. For me, that's using the resource God's entrusted to me to bless somebody. Right? It's simple. It didn't have to be that I was changing the world and rocking somebody. It didn't have to be nothing drastic. God's entrusted me with a resource. I've stored it in a way that I take care of it to the best of my ability, and I'm blessing people's life with it. It transports me to and fro, and it keeps me safe. But all at the same time, I use it. When we had the fall festival, I had it loaded down with bottles of water, and I had it loaded down. I'm using the resource God's blessed me with to bless other people. You with me? Stay with me. Don't leave me. If you've got it, it was created by him, but it was created for him. 
Deuteronomy chapter 8 tells us that he's sovereign over our ability to make wealth. It says in verse 12, For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. So don't become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Don't forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was hot and dry. He gave you water from a rock. He fed you manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. But listen to this. He did this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. You ever do that? I hope not, but we're guilty of it, right? There's a sense of pride in achievement. It's just we're natural. We're human beings. We do something good. There's some pride in that. We need some accolades. We want to add a boy because we've hit a home run in some way, shape, or form. Right? This guy needs an attaboy. I've learned a lot about me, and one thing I learned a long time ago is that I need accolades. I need to be built up. I need to be told. There's a, there's a, a chatterbox, as one guy calls it, in our heads. It's the mind, that voice in the back telling you all these things that you're not. And sometimes you just need a good old attaboy to pick you up and tell you, hey, keep on rolling. You're doing a good job. Right? We like that feeling. But God's telling these people of Israel, hey, don't forget where you came from. You can't forget that there was a point in time in your life when you had absolutely nothing. There was a point in time I brought you out of freedom and your freedom was all you had. You got water from a rock only because I allowed the rock to give you something to drink. You had nothing to eat, so I provided manna, something nobody else had ever had before. You got that. Sure, now you've built wealth. Now you've, you're prosperous. You, you've come to this place. But you can't say at all that it was on your own ability. It doesn't belong to you. It all belongs to God. If you have built an empire and you've built all this wealth, it only is because God has allowed you to do that. You with me? It's a heart issue. So after we understand the heart issue and understand that everything is ours, everything that we have is God's, it's not ours. Everything that's in our possession, everything that we see, everything we touch, doesn't belong to us. It all belongs to God. Even you yourself were created for him, by him. We get to the mindset. What do you do with it? There's a verse of scripture, a proverb that is really just about as simple as it comes. Proverbs 21, 26 I like the way the New Living Translation says it. It says, some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. You ever met somebody who just couldn't get enough? Greedy for more? Wanting more always? And he flips it around and he says, but the godly love to give. I'll give you three mindsets of generosity. The first mindset I want to give you is the bag mindset. 
the bag mindset. Haggai chapter 1, verse 6. The people of, uh, they're supposed to be building the temple back and they're not doing as they're told and the word of the Lord comes and says, you've sown so much and bring in little. You eat but don't have enough. You drink but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourself but no one is warm. And this is where the thought comes from. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Now, I would imagine that we've all been at some place a time or two where we've, we've worked and we worked and we worked and we worked. And provision comes and it comes and it comes and it comes and it's just like it cycles through and it never builds up. And it's just like, where is all the money going? You ever felt that way? Okay, maybe it's just me. Just be practical. We'll be real. Today's just practical day. We work and we put what we get in a bag. What God gives us, we put in, into a bag, but when we reach back down in that bag, it's gone because realistically the bag had holes in it, and what we brought in went into that bag, and it went straight back out. It's never enough. We get, we get, we get, but it's, it's not enough. If you, you can't keep anything in your bag, how can you get anything out of your bag to give somebody else? See, Judas carried a bag. Judas kept up with the money for the disciples. And the Bible says he carried the money bag. If you don't know who Judas is, Judas was the dude that betrayed Jesus to get more in his bag because his bag never had enough. In fact, as he kept the disciples' money, the Bible says that he himself was a thief and he would take out of the bag for himself. It's never an cycle. And there's a story that we read in, in Mark chapter 14 where this lady comes up this, this prostitute lady who should have never had anything to do with Jesus, and she's been changed. She's been radically changed, and she wants to come and worship the Lord, and she has this bottle of perfume. You know it as the alabaster box. And she's got a bottle of perfume that's is, is valuable. Some say that the value of that was worth one year's worth of wages. And she goes and she gets at Jesus' feet and she empties that bottle of perfume, of oil, on his feet, and she, she pours it out on Jesus. And Judas, with his bag, stands off to the back and says, what are you doing? What are you thinking? If you wanted to do something, we should have sold that bottle. We should have sold that perfume. We could have given the money to the poor. The Bible says he cared nothing about the poor. He himself was a thief, and it would have simply been more money in his bag so that he could have taken it for himself. I don't want to live in the bag mindset. And if your money just keeps rolling over... Maybe we need to stop and think a second. What are we doing? There's not only the bag mindset, but there's the basket mindset. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 6. The writer says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commandments that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offsprings of your herds and your flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets 
And breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you will be blessed. The second mindset is the basket mentality. The basket mindset. You either put your money in the bag that's got holes in it, or you can put it in a basket. These people were doing what God had called them to do. They were at a place where they were beginning to obey the Lord. And he said, if you follow in obedience then your fruit baskets will be overflowing. I'm going to bless what's in your basket. All blessings will come if you obey the Lord. And when they did this, their basket was blessed. It's interesting that, you you know this verse of Scripture in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It says, give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together. To make room for more running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I've always felt like, for me, it's like a cup of water, which makes no sense because you don't shake, press down. That's the running over part for me. That's the illustration my mind's always come up with. But I heard a guy tell a story this week, and he gave this illustration a little more clearly, and I was kind of mind-blown. If you think about this in the agriculture time period, it's being discussed. The good landowners, the the wealthy farmers, the ones that had this basket mentality, would purposely tell their harvesters, hey, leave grain on the ground for those to come back by that, that don't have anything. When we're all done, when we're gone, they'll come out and they'll pick up what's left. Let's look at this from two different scenarios. If you're the harvester, first of all, you've just been told you don't have to pick up every grain, right? You work by the hour. It's a long way from the edge of this field to the barn. How full are you going to fill your basket knowing you got to carry it from here all the way to the barn? You're working by the hour, which means it doesn't really matter if you do it the first trip or the second trip. How full are you going to fill your basket? Comfortably, right? I sure ain't going to wear myself out on the first go-round because I get to come back and get it again. I'm going to get paid for the second trip, the third trip, as long as it takes me to get all the grain from here to the barn. But if you're the one going back at night, when everybody else is cleared, and the farmers made it clear that you can show up and you can fill your basket Slam full of grain, as full as you can get it, and take home to provide for your family. How full are you going to fill your basket? I'm going to fill it up. I'm going to shake it down, shake it around. I'm going to keep pouring in it till I can't even walk without it strolling out the sides, right? And so the farmer who is God, who is basket mindset, a basket mentality tells us that whenever we give, he says you give and it comes back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, packed down tight. See, when I go fill up a container of food or an icy at the gas station, whatever it is, I want my money's worth, Right? You'll get you a container of mashed potatoes from somewhere that's got some real good mashed potatoes. Maybe you've been at mama's house and you're trying to get as many as you can in that little container. 
to take home. You put them in there, then you tap it on the counter. You put some more, you shake them around. And you put some more and you spread them out real, real even. You put some more, you might even take a spoonful and eat a spoonful before you put some more back in there, right? Right? You want all you can get when it's good. And the Word of God says, if you give, you will receive. When you've got the basket mentality, you're willing to reach down in your basket because we've already stored something up. We've closed up the holes. We're not letting it cycle through. That means we have something to give, right? We've understanded that we've got to a place of understanding everything we have belongs to God. It's coming in. It, it, our basket is filling up. And God's not only filling our basket, that just so we can see, but it's filled to the point, it's filled to the brim, pressed down, shaken together, running over. There are extras, more than what our basket can hold. It's running over so that we can bless other people with what's in our basket, right? One of my favorite stories of the Old Testament, I've got a paper to write this week on this thought process. For me, I identify my life with, with this point in Elijah's life. In 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah's proclaimed a drought. He said, there's going to be no dew, no rain. Touching the ground until I say, for years to come. And God cared enough about Elijah during this drought to provide for him. And if you know the story, you know that God told Elijah, hey, go to a city. There's going to be a brook there in this village. You drink of the brook, and I'll get ravens to bring you meat for provision. You know this story? You know something that hit me this week? I was writing another paper on this concept. Why didn't the ravens eat the meat? The thing that provided the provision, the, the provision could have consumed the provision. God is going to use things in our life that make no sense whatsoever. He's going to use things to send us provision that really should be consuming us. Right? The ravens should have ate the meat themselves. But God's going to use those things, those people, who we look at and think, nah, they're out to get me. Who we look at and think, nah, there's no way God could ever use those people. Those are the people, those are the situations God's going to use to provide for us in the times of drought. I've never seen it before. I love that passage. I love this story. I've read it, and I've read it, and I've never just, I was sitting in the office this week, and I thought, why did the ravens eat the meat? The thing that should have consumed their provision is what delivered their provision. And Elijah eats, and then eventually the creek dries up because that's the way it works. Everything's not perfect when you give, family. Everything's not a-okay and all put together when you live a generous life. The creek still dries up. The ravens still quit flying. But God said, now you're going to go to another village. There's this little widow lady there, and she's waiting on you. And she's going to provide for you. And so they, he shows up, and he says, oh, great, here's this widow. Hey, listen, uh, I was told by God to come here and show up, and you'd help me out. 
Give me a cup. Give me a glass of water. Go check in that basket. Bring me some bread. She said, there's not any bread in the basket. She said, in fact, I'm gathering some sticks to build a fire to bake my son and I. The last batch of bread that I can bake with what's in my basket. There's just enough flour in the bottom of the jar, in the bottom of the basket to bake us one more. We're going to have our last meal. We're going to go and die. Elijah said, no. I imagine a light bulb kind of went off. Bing! That's why the ravens didn't eat my meat. I'm supposed to be right here at this point in life. I'm supposed to show up to this lady, and I'm supposed to take what's what's in her basket, and I'm supposed to bless it, and now it's going to be this never-ending cycle. The Bible says, he said, hey, go bake us some bread. You feed me first. That's really important. You feed me first, then you and your son eat, and this basket's never going to go dry again. The Word says that that she did that, and, and there was never a point where they went hungry. There was always plenty in the basket for them to keep over and over. She didn't have to go pick new, new grain. She didn't have to grind up the flour. It took no effort on her part other than, firstly, feeding him, taking what was in her basket, giving it to him first, and then her basket never ran dry. There was always oil in the jar. There was always flour in the basket. My favorite part of that story has nothing to do with the sermon, but the son dies. That's not a good part for it to be my favorite, but the son dies. And she gets mad. I said, Elijah, what are you, like, who are you, man of God? You come in my house and you cause this big problem for me. And he takes the son upstairs and he lays over and prays over him and he comes back to life. And here's the moral of my story. I had to go through all my junk. I had to go through all my drought to get to a place and to a season where I could bring life back to something that's dead. Sometimes your drought, sometimes your junk in your life, sometimes the place you have to go through is only to put you at a place where you get to bring life back to something that's dead. There was one other place about about baskets in Scripture that really makes you think, Jesus has been teaching. And the Bible says, and it's really cool because people say we shouldn't be about numbers. How in the world did they come up with the fact there was 5,000 men at this place if somebody didn't count? Just saying. They're hungry. The disciples say, Jesus, these people really need to eat. You need to send them away. He said, no, you're going to feed them. Me? He said, you're going to feed them. And so here shows up this little boy with a basket with five loaves and two fish. Cheap little meal, nothing to it, but he had what he had in his basket. Right? Jesus takes that lunch basket, he blesses those five loaves, those two fish, and he hands them to the disciples. And he says, here, go feed the people. I have not, my brain is not creative enough, and God has not shown me what that looked like. I don't know whether fish kept growing in the basket. 
I don't know whether when they when they I don't know if they walked around with their eyes closed just saying here and they never I don't know what it looked like. I would love to know one day when I get to heaven, I want Jesus to show me what it looked like to stand and hold a basket with nothing in it and watch people get something out that just multiplied to feed 5,000 men, probably 5,000 women, and probably at least 5,000 kids. How did 15,000 people eat on five loaves and two fish? It was what was in the basket. When we've got a basket mentality, God can do amazing things. Then there's a third mindset, though. As if the basket's not enough, the Bible talks about one more. The Bible talks about the barn. I can hold a basket, right? I don't want to, but I can hold a bag with holes in it. That is as useless as anything else I've ever seen. Why have a container that's not going to hold anything? I can hold a basket. I don't know about you, but I can't hold a barn. The Word says in Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of all your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. God gives instruction for every area of our life in some way, shape, or form. You want to be wealthy? There's your answer, family. You want your barn slammed full, running over, you don't even know how to handle it all? There it is. Honor the Lord with your first fruits, and your barns will be full, and your vats will be overflowing with new wine. This is interesting to me. See, God wants to be first. God wants to be first. We believe in, as a church in what's called the tithe. It comes from a Hebrew word, masir. simply means the tenth. And God was so insistent about this concept, and he believed and wants it instilled in our hearts and our minds so much that this is actually a place in Scripture where he says, hey, test me. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. So there may be food in my house, and try me on this, or test me in this. Test me in this. I'm going to say this. I debated it over and over, and I've consulted nobody with any wisdom over me in saying this. But I'm going to make this statement. If you've never paid your tithe, you've never given in your tithe, and for three months you will honestly give your first 10%, and God does not open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings on you, this church will give it back to you. That's strong. But I believe in it enough. I'm telling you, try it. If God said test him, I'll tell you, test it. 
If you will give for three months, don't lie. I'm going to be honest. I ain't going to play with you now. You got to give the first fruits of your 10%. That means if you get a $100 paycheck, the first $10, you faithfully give that. Not to, it ain't got nothing to do with this house. I'm talking about you. If you do that for three months and you can look me in the eye and tell me God's not blessed me, Sister Donna will cut you a check for every bit of your tithe back. I believe in that. Wholeheartedly. And the amens and the yeses right now are the people that know without a doubt God will pour out blessings on you. It happens. It works. You want your barns full? Honor God with your first fruits. And here's where it all comes back full circle. If you're asleep, wake up for a minute and listen. Give me three minutes and I'm done. This is extremely, this is, this is deep. Okay? In Exodus chapter 13, The Lord said to Moses in verse 1, Dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. The first offspring to be born, both of humans and of animals, belongs to me. You with me up to this point? This is the people of God. Early on, he's setting out the direction they should go. He's setting the law. He said, Dedicate your firstborn, both of people and of your animals, to me. That means if your mama lamb has a beautiful, beautiful little lamb, you slay it and it goes to me. That means when mama has a beautiful baby boy, and daddy's been waiting on that baby boy, it gets slaughtered and goes to the Lord. You say, that's harsh. True. Thankfully, we don't have to do that anymore. But there was something different. He said, the first offspring to be born, both of humans and of animals, belongs to me. But the law got all crazy and it got all out of whack. And by out of whack, I don't mean out of order according to God, out of order where it makes no sense to us. But there's clean and there's unclean animals. So a lamb would be clean. Your sheep had a baby, slaughter it, move on. The firstborn belongs to the Lord. Your donkey had a baby donkey, it's unclean. And what had to take place for the unclean was something clean had to be sacrificed to redeem the unclean. You with me? It's far-fetched. We don't live in that time. Thank you, Jesus. But it's the way it was. Exodus 13, 13 said, A firstborn donkey may be bought back from the Lord. By presenting a lamb or young goat in its place. But if you do not buy it back, you must break its neck. However, you must buy back every firstborn son. Every 
mare donkey that you had in the, the herd, every firstborn son it had, either you bought it with a lamb or you broke its neck. The unclean have to be redeemed with the clean. And this is all the firstborns. With me? First fruits. Honor the Lord with your first fruit. Your barns will be full. Your vats will be overflowing with new wine. And this is where it takes a turn. See, when you and I were born, were you clean or unclean? Not physically, because you were nasty. There's no way around that. Did you have a natural tendency to sin or to be saintly and holy? Sin, you're unclean, right? Therefore, you had to be redeemed, right? Jesus, the Son of God, is considered the Lamb of God, right? Clean had to be sacrificed and given so that you unclean could remain alive. And so God gave his one and only firstborn son to be the redemption for us. And I just took this whole money sermon and I turned it back into salvation and told you how you just got saved. He took the first fruits before anything else. What's so crazy, though, is he took one clean lamb and sacrificed and bought the redemption of all the unclean donkeys, you and me. And so your first fruit may be a loss in your human flesh mind for a moment, but God's going to use the first fruit to buy back and to redeem all these blessings to bring back to your life. There's something so cool about the barn. I thought about Joseph. Joseph went through a journey of life that was horrible. Rejected by family, sold into slavery, accused of rape, beaten, put in prison, and somehow God uses all that to put him at a place where he's in control of the grain bin. He's in control of the barn. And when nobody else had food, <laughs> when nobody else had anything else to eat, they show up at Joseph's doorstep to get something out of the barn. My barn's full. That doesn't mean that there's grain from the floor to the roof of my barn right now. Okay? Picture it with me. You got a barn? We look at the level. I'm telling you, my barn's full. But there's not grain from the roof to the ceiling. Because this was the thought that kind of hit me a a working barn never holds the grain. Right? When it's harvest season, we collect, we bring in. 
But then there's some point or another where it has to cycle out, and it has to be pushed out, and it goes out to to change somebody else's life. The corn that you're going to go eat at lunch today had to be harvested. It had to be brought in. It was put in a silo. It was put some way, shape, or form. And then it had to go out so you could consume it. Right? My barn is slammed full to the top, although there may not be one stitch of grain in it. I could say it's full because there's a harvest coming. I'm faithful. God says that if I honor him with my first fruit, my barn will be full. There may not be a stitch of grain in it right now. There may be just enough that that maybe we scratch by. There might be just enough that it looks like I'm on my last cake that I'm going to make for us to go die. But just whenever it gets down to the bottom, just whenever my barn, it looks like there's nothing else left, it's full because God's going to bring harvest and he's going to fill it back up to the top. The working barn is not to store up all this junk and keep for ourselves. It'll rot. When I've got a barn mindset and I'm living my life in a barn mindset, harvest is rolling in and it's rolling right back out. I never go without. I might not have every little thing I could ever think of and want out of the thin air. But there's never a moment's time I'm hungry. Some days I'm amazed I'll pull up a credit report or credit score. There's never, ever been a derogatory mark. There's never, ever been a late payment. I don't know how they get paid. I make sure that I hit the little button to pay them, but I don't know where the money's coming from sometimes. I'm just being real. Test God. Because I hit that button in faith knowing I'm going to pay what I owe. My my barn is full. I don't know where the next provision's always coming from. I have no clue why the raven ain't eating the meat while it's coming in the air to be dropped in my lap. But I know God said he sent me to the brook. He said he's going to provide for me, whether it be the raven. He sent me to the place for the little lady to make me bread when she ain't even got no bread. I don't know how it's coming. But it's coming. My barn is slammed full, and I'll continue to give. It makes no sense to me sometimes. I'm going to be out of town this week, and this morning I wrote a tithe check. It doesn't make a lot of sense that I wrote, but my barn's full. I'm not going to be hungry. Somehow me and Micah haven't quite understood the word tent. It's, it never works out that way for us. By never works out, I don't mean it's nine. I mean it's more like somewhere that way. And I'm not being boastful. I'm just telling you, test God. I give him the first fruits. Honestly, I pay tithe on a check I've not even got yet. But I trust God. That check might bounce. My my paycheck may not even come through. But I've given God the first fruit. Test God. So we can be content with what we have. And we can learn to be thankful for the blessings of the Lord. But until we're generous with the blessings, 
We're not walking out this life of discipleship. Over and over in Scripture. The Bible deals with money specifically. I'm not even really trying to deal with money today. I'm encouraged. I, I, I did not plan to tell you that we'd reimburse your tithe, but we will. It's not about this house. It's not about me. God's going to provide for me. As the minister of the gospel that I'm doing what God, I believe, has called me to do some way, shape, or form, God's going to provide. I'm faithful. God's going to provide for this house because I believe this house has done just that. Family, I'll just tell you this. In 2019, this family, this house, I thought about it today. I don't really understand. This house gave more out of our barn than what had been sitting in the barn for past years. Does that make sense to you? Over $10,000 this year went out of this house. And that's almost double what had been sitting in the barn at times in the past. We gave it on faith. I'm not going to lie to you. There have been days we had conversations since we gave that on faith that I scratch and I say, Lord, we did what you said to do. What you going to do? But God provides. There's never a moment for a lack of provision for this house. There's never a moment of a lack of provision for your life if you'll be faithful. I'm telling you all that to say you're a part of a movement in this house where we're giving our first fruit. We're doing our very best to pour back out. Could we keep it? Yeah. Could we have done some things with $10,000? Sure. But do I believe God's going to pour 100000 back on top of us or more because we sent out the 10? Absolutely. I don't, we don't need that 10 and it be cursed by the Lord because we're not giving it back. Amen? Father, I love you. God, I thank you that you gave your first fruit for me. God, an unclean sinner that didn't deserve to be saved, didn't deserve to be redeemed. Father, you gave him for me. You allowed me freedom. You allow me to now have redemption, God, because you gave your very, very best for me. God, and you've done that as an example for us in our lives. 
as you call us to honor you with our first fruits, God. And you you make a promise, Lord, as we honor you with our first fruits. God, you'll, you'll fill our basket. You'll fill the fruit basket. But beyond that, God, you said that our barns would be full. Our vats would be overflowing, God, not with just old, old wine, Father, but new wine, with new blessings, new things that are poured out on our life, God. They come when we honor you with our first, with our best. Maybe today, God, there's somebody here that don't know you. Maybe there's somebody that's never given their life to you today. God, and I pray that in some way, shape, or form in this conversation about our gifting, our giving, Father, our generosity, Lord, I pray that you touch their heart and in some way they understand they were not worth you giving your best for, but you gave it anyway. And by you giving your best, Father, you have given them an opportunity to be redeemed. You've given them an opportunity to be saved, God, to spend eternity with you. God, I know there's some here today that maybe they've had a heart shift and they understand that they only have what they have because you allow it. God, it ain't mine to begin with. What's in my pocket is not mine, Father, so what I do with it should be for you. It should be to bless the people around us, Father, to do, to do things, God, that lift up your name, that, that glorify your name and edify the church. Holy Spirit, I pray that if there's those in the house today that have never never taken the step in faithfulness, God, to give you their first fruit, they've never given to you the beginning of their increase, Father, I pray that they test you. God, I pray that they would accept that challenge. Your word says to test you, that you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings, God, as we bring the tithe to the storehouse. God, I don't only pray that we would give tithe, God, but I pray we would give above and beyond, Lord, not, not in this house, Father, but to the people around us, Father. We see somebody who, who we just want to bless, Lord. We'd open our hearts and our minds to you to, to feel, to sense something that you need us to do, God. It's not ours to do with, but it's yours. God, we want to give you our best today. So, God, we recognize this morning that in some way shape or form we have a relationship with you so now the question becomes father are we giving our best to you holy spirit i pray you move on us today families i've given you this word it's on my heart if the Lord's moved you in any way, shape, or form and pushing you to take a step back and reevaluate what you're doing with the blessings that he's allowed you to use, the things he's allowing you to steward. You're taking a step back and you've realized maybe you've not given your best. You're not giving your best. You could do better. And we just want to commit today as a family that we're willing to put our best forward. I want to ask, could we close this time out together today in an altar here together? Would you come and let's pray together, pray a prayer of commitment? As we close out this idea of a content life, would you come and let's pray together that God would use our first fruits, that he would use us, that he would change our hearts. We want our barns to be full. I pray that you become millionaires out of your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for calling us today as we 
are moving forward, God, and we're pushing to give you our best. We want our first fruits to go to you. God, we're going to commit to you today. Family, could we just pray a prayer of commitment today that we would reevaluate our hearts, reevaluate our minds, that we would move past the bag mindset. If you've been revolving finances and revolving income, we're going to move past that. We're going to move to the basket mindset and then even beyond to the, the barn mindset. We want our barns full. Father, I love you. I thank you, God. God, we stand here as a family today, as a corporate body, Lord, who has, who has done our best this year to give you. Father, we, we've done our very best to give back the first fruits. Lord, we've done our best to give back before the blessing, God, and you've poured out your blessings on us time and time again as a church, Lord. God, you've poured out your blessings on my life as an individual, God, as, I, as we, we've been faithful to put our first fruit, Lord. We've tested you in putting our first fruit first, giving you our first fruit, Father. God, I pray for these people that are around us, Lord. We pray for our family. God, this church family, I pray, God, that you would commit us. God, that we would, we would have a heart, God, of commitment to you that through every circumstance, through every trial, through every situation, through every hill, Father, every mountaintop, God, that we put you first, that we understand, Lord, God, that you're faithful. Lord, you're so faithful. You're beyond anything we could ever imagine. God, and as we begin to take on this new heart, this new mind, Father, of generosity, God, you're going to pour out your blessings on us. God, you're going to change our heart. You're going to change the way we see things. As Pastor Jonathan said earlier, it's all about perception. We can go to the mountains to see the rolling hills, and we can go see the beautiful leaves, God. But if we pick our head up and we look around us, there's a beautiful thing right here, God, right among us, God. And you're calling us to commit ourselves, to commit the things you've stewarded us with to you. God, I pray for growth. I pray for increase in our families, in our homes, Lord God. That's only going to come as we, we become faithful to you, as we give you our very best. God, I pray you reevaluate our hearts and our minds today. God, you challenge us to be better. Our heart today, God, is to be better. We want to be more like you. God, we want to be Christ-like. To be Christian is to be Christ-like. And the fact that you gave yourself for me means to be Christ-like is for me to give my best for you. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that the barn's full, Lord, that I can walk in faith. I can walk in confidence, God, in who you are, knowing, Father, that my barn is slam full. It may be a season where the grain's cycling through and there might not be harvest right this moment, God. There might not be stuff stored up, Father, but my barn is full. And you're pouring out blessings on us. I thank you, Father, that we can put our hope in you today. God, I pray for your family today, God, that you would bless us, that you would bless our homes. God, those that are not able to be in the house because of sickness and whatever situations that may be, Father, I pray, God, that you bless them. God, that you meet the needs of your people today. Father, I pray you keep us, that you bring us back in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.